passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, good morning again, church. Uh, it is great to be with you this morning. Uh, last, as I mentioned, last uh, 72 hours or so have been a whirlwind for me. I spent a couple of days in Ames for a conference, and as a Hawkeye fan, anytime I'm in Ames, it just is uncomfortable for me. And uh, so uh, there was that. And then the men's retreat at Hidden Acres, a great time, and then joined, uh, came back home uh, yesterday. Uh, excited to be with us, or be with you all, um, as we open God's Word together. Uh, this morning, we're uh, going to continue looking at the book of Philemon. Last week, we were in this book, and uh, we started looking at the story of Philemon and Onesimus. And you might be saying, well, started. We went through the entire book last week. Uh, how, what are we going to cover this week? Uh, last week, we looked at uh, the encouragement that God has for us uh, in our faith and this uh, charge or this uh, call for us to persevere and to face the hardship in our life, not to run away from it, but to walk forward into it with confidence, knowing that God is with us. If you remember briefly the context, Philemon was one of the leaders in the church in Colossae. He and his family actually hosted the church in their home. And they were known throughout the entire church of Colossae and in the Lycus Valley, the surrounding communities, as people uh, who were loving, who were faithful, and who were generous with all that God had given them. And yet, in spite of that generosity, in spite of that faith, in spite of that love, there continued to be this massive blind spot in their faith. Unfortunately, it's true of so many throughout church history, they continued to own slaves. Now, one of these slaves was named Onesimus. And Onesimus, being a non-Christian, thought uh, he would try to find any and every way for himself to get his freedom. And at one point, he robbed his master Philemon, ran away to Rome a thousand miles away, thinking that that would be the key to freedom, that he would build a new life with the money that he had stolen, and he would never be caught living in a city of nearly one million people so far away from his master. Now, while in Rome, God orchestrated events for Onesimus to encounter the apostle Paul, and they met, and under Paul's teaching, Onesimus becomes a Christian. Onesimus grows quickly in his faith, and in time, he actually feels convicted and called to go back to Colossae to face his master Philemon and ask for forgiveness for robbing him. And so last week, we looked at this thousand-mile journey that Philemon, excuse me, that Onesimus went on back to Colossae. And we imagined how difficult it must have been for Onesimus on this journey as he slowly, over six weeks, got closer and closer to Colossae. And I'm sure that he doubted his faith at, at times and doubted whether what he was going to do was the right thing. Awaiting him in Colossae as a runaway thief and as a runaway slave, it was a very real threat of death. And yet... Because of the gospel, because of his faith, Onesimus continues steadfastly to Colossae. He recognizes that his faith necessitated that he face the hardship, not that he run away from it. 
And so Onesimus arrives in Colossae, and he appears before the church that's meeting in Philemon's home, in his old master's home. And Onesimus is carrying a letter from the Apostle Paul. It's written to Paul's friend and co-laborer in the gospel, Philemon. And in the letter, Paul explains everything that's taken place to Onesimus and how God has gotten a hold of Onesimus' life and changed him. And in this letter, Paul requests that Philemon forgive Onesimus. And what's more, that he release Onesimus. And last week we looked at even as Onesimus has to face a difficult moment in his faith, this moment that's pushing him toward Colossae, toward this confrontation, at the exact same time, Philemon has to face a difficult moment in his faith. This man who is known for his faith, he's known for his love, he's known for his generosity, now is forced into a moment where he has to make a decision. Will he follow through with what he professes? Will he follow through with his faith? And will he forgive Onesimus? This morning, we want to continue our time in this book. But I want us to do something a little different. If you were with us last week, you noticed that we didn't spend any time looking at what actually happened to Philemon and Onesimus. The letter doesn't tell us. We ended the story right where Philemon is handed the letter from Onesimus and Tychicus who were there from the Apostle Paul. This morning we want to ask the question, do you think Philemon forgave Onesimus? We want to look at that question. We want to ask, did you, do, do we think that he released Onesimus? Do we think that Onesimus would return to Rome to minister with the Apostle Paul, just as Paul desired, as we see in this letter? And the Bible never explicitly tells us. The Bible never tells us what happens to Philemon's response and how, how things work out. But I think we can respond confidently that the answer is yes. Yes, Philemon forgave Onesimus. Yes, Philemon released Onesimus. Yes, Onesimus returned back to Paul in Rome. And I think there are two simple reasons. First, even though the Bible doesn't tell us what happened with Philemon and Onesimus, we can uh, safely assume that they were reconciled because this book is in the Bible. Think of this. It would have been highly unlikely for this book, it's a very short book, There's not a lot of theology in this book. This book primarily focuses on application. How we take the the truths of, of God and apply them to our lives. So this book is heavy on application. It would be very unlikely for this book that focuses on application to be in the Bible if the person it was written to didn't apply it. It's far more likely that this letter was affirmed by the church because It had produced fruit in the lives of Philemon and Onesimus. And second, and this is what we want to focus on this morning as we gather, we can conclude that Philemon was the type of person who would forgive Onesimus. 
As we look at this letter once more this morning, we're going to see that Philemon is the type of person who has the character to forgive Onesimus, and not just to forgive Onesimus, but to also release him. This letter is filled with examples of Philemon's godly character, even in spite of his position on slavery. In fact, that's how Paul opens up this letter with thanksgiving for Philemon. He's thanking God for him, starting in verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Notice how Paul concludes his description of Philemon. Read verse 7 again. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. What a powerful description. What a powerful description of this man and of this man's character, is it not? To be someone that the church looked at as a source of refreshment, a source of of comfort, a source of encouragement, a, a drink of cool water on a hot day. And I think if we were to be asked, each and every one of us would say, we'd like to be known as someone who refreshes the hearts of the saints especially when compared to the alternative. But what did Paul mean when he says that? What does Paul mean when he says that Philemon is someone who refreshes the hearts of the saints? And and by extension, how can we be people who are refreshing Christians? People who refresh the hearts of those who are around us. I think by looking at this letter, and this letter focuses first on Philemon's past, And then it also looks at, at, with confidence, at what Philemon is called to do in the future. I think by looking at this letter, we can see a, a few different ways that we can refresh the hearts of the saints. Take a moment and look at the person on your left. And look at the person on your right. What would it look like for you to refresh the hearts of those who are sitting next to you this morning? I think as we look at Philemon, we can see at least five different ways that we can refresh the hearts of those that we are surrounded by. So let's take a look at that this morning. But before we begin, uh, let's just describe or define what we mean by refresh the hearts of the saints. What does it mean to, to refresh someone? I don't know about you, but what comes to mind for me uh, when I think of this uh, phrase, refresh the hearts of the saints, I think of a, a desert and an oasis in the middle of that desert. Life can be draining. Life can be difficult. Life can be taxing. Life can be suffering for many of us. King David fled Jerusalem because his son was trying to kill him. And while he was hiding from his son Absalom, he sought refuge in the Judean wilderness or the Judean desert. 
It was a desolate place, a parched land. And as he was describing his own soul, he used the imagery of his surrounding countryside. In Psalm 63, he said, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. All too often, I think that we can feel the exact same way that David describes his soul here. Can't we? We can feel like the stresses of work the stresses of family relationships, the state of our politics, the uncertainty of the future, the never-ending need for finances can put us in a place that is similar to David, can leave us wondering where God is, can leave us, if we're not careful, with souls that are dried up, that are shriveled, and that are starved for water. Praise God that Jesus answers this need in the Gospel of John. It's in this context of refreshing the hearts of the the saints that Jesus says in John chapter 7, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. To refresh the hearts of the saints can mean many things, But primarily, it means to be a refuge, to be a a comfort for others in the dryness and the weariness of life. It is to be a drink of cold water in the hot summer sun. It is to give rest to dry, weary souls. And that's the type of person Philemon was. Philemon had a reputation for being this type of person. In the church of Colossae, he was known to be a source of comfort, a source of rest, a source of revitalization. And oh, that God would would stir up that same sort of heart within each and every one of us to be a source of comfort and rest and encouragement for those that surround us. Let's take a look. This isn't a comprehensive list by any means, but it's a list of five different ways that Paul describes Philemon refreshing the hearts of the saints, being a drink of water for a parched soul. First, we see Paul describe Philemon in this way. Philemon is a man who has an open heart and an open home. In the same way, we refresh the hearts of the saints by having an open heart. Consider Paul's words at the beginning of this book. As he's opening the book, he says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. That's how he starts the letter, and notice how he finishes at the end, looking at verse 22. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will graciously be given to you. Paul bookends this letter with a mention of Philemon's hospitality, Philemon's generosity. 
Now, when I was originally looking at this passage and studying for this sermon, I, I thought, well, you know, one of the ways that we refresh the hearts of the saints is not uh, by having an open heart. It's just by having an open home. After all, that's what Philemon does here. That's what his family does here. They let the church gather in their home when they gathered, and he seemed like he always had a bed ready for those who were working for the gospel and who were traveling in a time where hotels did not yet exist. But as I continued to study this, I continued to look at Philemon and his character, I began to realize that his family, that I began to realize that the way that, that this man and his family refreshed the hearts of the saints is not just by opening their homes, but their hospitality goes far deeper than that. They opened their hearts as well. I imagine that their home in Colossae was a bastion of rest for the weak. A bastion of rest for the weary. But even more, they opened their hearts. They exposed their very souls to the church. They entered into the lives of those who were hurt and were needy. Today, when we hear the term hospitality, a couple things probably come to mind. Oftentimes, we can think of hospitality as an industry. The hospitality industry includes hotels, cruise ships, amenities, and on and on. Perhaps a little bit closer to the biblical definition of hospitality, hospitality is a, a form of entertainment. It's a form of housekeeping. And so when we visit a friend's house and we are entertained and we enjoy ourselves and we have good food, we will describe them as being hospitable. Such a hospitable home. And in the church, we use the term hospitality uh, to refer to just being friendly, to being welcoming, having coffee and treats ready to go for those who walk in on a Sunday morning. But the biblical definition of hospitality goes far deeper than that. One pastor describes hospitality in this way. Hospitality means making space for the stranger in your world. Making space for the stranger in your world. Hospitality is a conscious decision to reach out to the stranger, to invite them, not just into your home, but into your world, into your life, no matter how chaotic, no matter how messy, no matter how dirty that life and that house may be. The hospitality of Philemon and Aphia was a hospitality that was willing to put their own lives on hold so that way they could love and care for the church. I have been fortunate enough to travel overseas a number of times and stay with a number of different people from different cultures. And uh, I've had some great experiences of hospitality with various hosts uh, each time. But the, the time that always stands out to me when it comes to the idea of hospitality is not the time uh, when I had the chance in Nicaragua to stay uh, on, uh, in a mansion on the ocean where there were a number of servants who were waiting on us. It was a great experience. You say, how can I sign up for that mission trip? 
wasn't that. That was actually a relatively forgettable experience when it comes to hospitality. The, the thing that comes to mind when I think of hospitality is when I was in Guatemala and I was staying with a, a family of seven who only had a one-bedroom home. And in that home, they had three beds set up in, the three, in three of the four corners of the house and insisting this family insisting that me and my fellow traveler each take our own bed. And the seven of them climbed into one bed while we each got our own. That is unforgettable hospitality. Hospitality doesn't mean that you have to have a lot to open your heart. But it does mean you need to open your heart. It does mean that you need to make space for the stranger in your life. That's what Philemon and his family did. They turned their home into a hospital. It was a a heart that was motivated by the hospitality of God when he opened his own heart to us, to strangers, and invited us into his family. If you want to be a refreshing Christian, if you want to refresh the hearts of those who are around you, might we just suggest that we start right here. We start by opening our hearts. And who knows, in a few months, if we don't have a facility, maybe you need to open your home too. Start by opening your home. Not just to friends, but to strangers. Now, we may not be a very large church, but we're large enough where I'm sure that you don't know everyone here. You certainly don't know everyone here well. And so start by opening your home to a stranger. But even more than that, open your heart as well. Take the risk of exposing yourself to the pain that might exist in their lives. In a world that seems to be getting more and more disconnected, less and less personal each and every day, I'm convinced that there's no greater place to start in refreshing the hearts of others than by opening your heart. We refresh the hearts of the saints by having an open heart. Paul describes another way where we can do this, where we can refresh the hearts of the saints. We refresh the hearts of the saints by modeling a love for Jesus and for others. Take a look at verses 4 and 5 of this letter. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Philemon And his family, by extension, were known in the church community for a faithful love for Jesus and a faithful love for others. Philemon took the the two greatest commandments very seriously. Jesus, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus answered them, The most important is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You see, the reason why we live out the great commandments, the reason why we love God and love others is first and foremost for us to glorify God, yes. But that's not the only reason why we do that. 
When we love God and we love others, when we have a faith in God and we point people to that faith in God, we're actually being a refreshment to others as well. Consider this, when you live out your faith and when you live out a love for Jesus and for others, you're actually being an encouragement to them, whether you realize it or not. You are showing others who are seeking to do the same thing, seeking to have a faith in Jesus, seeking to to love Jesus and to love others. You're showing them that they are not alone. And so for the student in the school hallway who is wanting to show a faith, wanting to show a love for Jesus and for others, but is, a, is afraid, doesn't know how to do that. Seeing you, their fellow student, speak of your love, speak of your faith is a great encouragement to them. It is a great reminder that they are not alone. The friend who is struggling to connect their faith to what they do each and every day, day in and day out, will be encouraged by you living a life of faith and of love for Jesus and others. Even without intending to be, our faith, our love can be an encouragement to people who are around us. That's not the only way that we refresh the hearts of the saints by loving others, however. When we model a love, when we model a faith for Jesus, it can, uh, it can also be a motivation for others as well. The beginning of the book of Philippians, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. He's, he's imprisoned in Rome, and he says, you know, this is actually a good thing. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it may become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul sees his imprisonment to the Roman guards as a positive for two reasons. One, he says, this is a good thing because now I can share the gospel with people who I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. Man, Paul must have been so frustrating to be around if you're a non-Christian. We're going to lock you up. Oh, no, that's a good thing because now I can share the gospel with people that I didn't have a chance to earlier. So that's one reason why he saw this as a positive. But for our sake this morning, we see another reason that Paul sees this as a positive. Paul sees it as a positive because his faithful commitment to the gospel, even in the face of death, when he is imprisoned, spurred others on to be bold about their faith as well to speak out about their faith, to speak out about their love as well. The church in Rome saw Paul in prison and said, hey, if Paul can do it when he's facing death, I can surely do it too. And when you are confident and modeling your faith and your love in Jesus, you're motivating others to do the same as well. Hey, if Jordan can do it, you can do it too. There's another way that our faith and love, modeling that faith and love is a, is a refreshment, is an encouragement to others, and that is simply, it's, it's a guide. We guide others through modeling our faith and love. When we put the gospel to work in our lives, 2,000 years after Jesus walked the face of the earth, We are showing people what it looks like to be a disciple 2,000 years after Jesus walked the earth. We are taking the the gospel truths 
and we're applying them to flesh and blood here and now, how we live out can be a guide to others on how they can live out the gospel as well. In the midst of a chaotic, hard, tough world, refresh the hearts of the saints by modeling a faith and love. Briefly, let's look at a third way that we can refresh the hearts of the saints. At the beginning of Philemon, we see another way. We refresh the hearts of the saints when we speak the word of life to others. When we speak the word of life to others. Paul writes of Philemon in verse 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Paul wants Philemon to do far more than just host the church in his home. He also wants Philemon to take initiative in sharing scripture with other Christians, with the rest of the congregation that gathers in his home. And the same is true for us today as well. When we speak scripture to others, we're refreshing their hearts. Paul in Psalm 63, the psalm that we read earlier, excuse me, David in Psalm 63, the psalm we read earlier in our time together says this, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. How is it that David can go from this place at the beginning of this psalm where he's filled with with desperation, where he describes his soul as a place of desolation, and here in verse 6 tells us that, that he's experiencing all these good things from God? It's because in verse 6 he tells us that he's been meditating on the goodness of God day and night. One of the ways that we meditate on the goodness of God is how he has revealed himself to his people throughout the ages, and that's in Scripture, the Word of Life. And so Paul urges Philemon to, not, to, to do this, not just for others, but for himself as well, to share the, uh, the good news, to share Scripture, to share the gospel with others, both in the church and without the church. And when he does this, he's actually coming to know the gospel himself better. But verse 6 of Philemon tells us, when we refresh the hearts of the saints through the word of God by, by speaking scripture to others, we not only refresh their hearts, we also refresh our hearts as well. Let's look at a fourth way. Now to this point, we've been looking primarily at Paul's words of thanksgiving for Philemon. He begins this book with a, a time stamp, if you will. He says, Philemon, I'm so grateful for the way you, ways you have refreshed the hearts of the saints in the past. How you've refreshed the hearts of the saints by having an open heart. You've refreshed the hearts of the saints by modeling faith and love. And, and you've done it by speaking words of life. And now we come to the very end of the letter. Verse 20, he's, he's talked about, uh, between these two po- points, he's talked about how he wants Onesimus freed. He wants Philemon to release Onesimus, and then he gets to verse 20. Actually, I'm going to read 17 first. 17 and then 20. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Verse 20. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. 
By ending this way, Paul is doing several things. First, he's tying his desire for Philemon, this uh, freedom, uh, this forgiveness for Onesimus. He's, he's tying it to what Philemon has done in the past. He's saying, Philemon, this is how you've acted in the past. You have been known as someone who refreshes the hearts of the saints in your actions, and now here's your chance to do it again. And second, he's revealing to us another way that we can refresh the hearts of the saints. We refresh the hearts of the saints by seeking justice, by seeking justice. Remember Paul's ask of Philemon in verses 15 and 16. For this, perhaps, is why Onesimus was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. You see, throughout the ages, skeptics have looked at the gospel's alleged support of slavery as a reason why they can't believe in the Bible. They can't believe in what Scripture tells us of who God is. In fact, one of the most common objections to the Bible today is this. It's this perception that the Bible and therefore Christians are complicit with the enslavement of humanity and therefore cannot be trusted. Now, it's true that Christians throughout the ages have misused passages of the Bible. They've misused passages of the Bible to defend the ownership of people. They've taken Scripture and they've ripped it apart and they've taken it out of context. But the message of Philemon tells us something completely different. These two verses, 15 and 16, tell us that the implication of the gospel, the implication that Philemon is a Christian and Onesimus is a Christian is that the sl- is slavery in the gospel cannot be reconciled. They cannot be reconciled. The implication of this verse is extremely clear for us. Onesimus left as a slave and has now returned as a brother. And if he is now a brother, how can you possibly legally own him? Paul here is telling Philemon to let the gospel transform him further than it already has in his life, to further transform his definition of justice and to seek justice in correcting a wrong in his life. This is rooted in the words of the prophets of the Old Testament. Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Isaiah tells us as well, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? How can we seek justice today? Here are just two brief contemporary examples. Today in the United States is considered Sanctity of Life Sunday. It's a day marking the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, the decision that was made 45 years ago tomorrow. Today in the United States, roughly one out of six pregnancies ends in abortion. 
Globally, each year, there are an estimated 45 million abortions that are performed, which comes out to about 125,000 abortions each day. To refresh the hearts of the saints, we as Christians should stand against this heinous practice and fight for life. We should write to political representatives, urging them to do something about the slaughter of the unborn, to do even more and seek out ways that we ourselves can provide alternatives for those who are struggling with unplanned pregnancies, to be a part of foster care, to be a part of adoption, to seek justice and refresh the hearts of the saints. There's another way, another example. It reared its ugly head Friday at the men's basketball game here in Spencer. Spencer played Storm Lake on Friday night. Storm Lake, as all of us probably know, is a much more racially diverse community than Spencer is. And there are reports, and I haven't verified these, I wasn't at the game. There are reports that a number of students from Spencer and fans from Spencer were shouting racial slurs at the students from Storm Lake. completely antithetical to the gospel. Completely embarrassing to the church. To refresh the hearts of the saints means to stand against the injustice of racism that unfortunately is so alive and well today, even here in Northwest Iowa. Seek justice by confronting those who make these kind of comments. For all people are formed in the image of God and carry infinite worth in his sight. Now, when we do this, when we seek justice in the world, we refresh the hearts of the saints, we glorify God. In a world of injustice, we can be an oasis of justice. We can be an oasis that is God's kingdom. Are you seeking justice for the oppressed? Are you seeking justice for the marginalized to be a voice for the voiceless? Do so and refresh the hearts of the saints. One final note from Philemon. We refresh the hearts of the saints through repentance. We refresh the hearts of the saints through repentance. The implication of Paul's letter to Philemon is that though he has been wronged by Onesimus in Onesimus's theft, Onesimus is running away, Philemon by no means is guiltless. He has to change his way of looking at Onesimus to no longer look at him as a piece of property, but now to look at him as a brother. And while Philemon had to forgive Onesimus, he also had to repent. And because his sin was public, he also had to repent publicly as well. Repentance is, is a crucial part of the gospel taking root in our own lives. Jesus's first words in the gospel of Mark tell us that. Now Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You see, repentance is far more than just saying I was wrong. It is a commitment to admit blame, but, uh, but also to, to commit to turn around and go the other way. 
For Philemon, to publicly forgive Onesimus, he also had to publicly repent of his actions. He had to free Onesimus. It would do no good to say, I was wrong, but then not make any change. The speaker at the men's retreat uh, yesterday, or maybe it was the day before, described repentance as siding, against, siding with God against self. I think that's a pretty good way of describing it. Siding with God against self. The gospel leads to change in our lives. It doesn't just lead to admission of guilt. It leads to a change in our lives. You see, repentance is never fun, and public repentance is even less fun. It takes dying to self. It takes swallowing our pride. It takes breaking down the idol of the perfect life that so often we kind of construct in our own lives. But when we do that, it refreshes the hearts of the saints. It is an encouragement to the church. It is a moment of humility. It is a declaration of our own great need for grace, not just in certain areas of our lives, not just once, but in every area of our lives at all times. And it is a declaration that each person can find the exact same grace for them in the darkest parts of their lives. Refresh the hearts of the saints through repentance. Let us be people who refresh the hearts of the saints. Do so through open hearts. Do so through modeling your faith and your love. Do so by speaking the word of life. Do so by seeking justice. Do so through repentance. And when we do so, God will be glorified and the church will be encouraged. Now, as we began this morning, I mentioned that we don't know the outcome of Philemon and Onesimus' story. And it's true that the Bible doesn't tell us what took place, and yet, uh, even though Scripture doesn't tell us, that there are church traditions that tell us what took place. According to early church fathers, Philemon responded uh, in the way that Paul asked him to, that he forgave Onesimus, and what's more, he actually released Onesimus, and Onesimus went on to serve the church in a great and mighty way. One church father tells us that Onesimus actually became the lead pastor of the largest church in the second generation of the church. Onesimus became the bishop of Ephesus, the largest church in Asia Minor. All because of the story that we just saw. All because he didn't run away from the hard times as we saw last week. He didn't run away from confronting his own sin and he went back to Philemon for forgiveness. And what's more, the same thing is true for Philemon. He refreshed the hearts of the saints by repenting, by forgiving Onesimus, and by releasing him to serve the church. Each of us has a great responsibility and also a great privilege to do the same. To refresh the hearts of the saints. To be faithful to the gospel, even in hard times. The story of Onesimus and Philemon, it's a powerful one. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of the powerful work of the gospel in our lives. The power of the gospel, not just to change lives once, but to continue changing them over and over and over again, drawing us ever nearer to God.
Let us be a people who refresh the hearts of the saints. Let us be a people who seek to honor Christ in doing so. Let's pray. God, we are in desperate need of you to come, to be with us, to help us. It is our desire to be a people who are refreshing Christians, to refresh others, to love others, to model our faith in you for others. Help us to be an oasis and a desert. Help us to encourage those who need encouragement. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.